We aren't here to be cute. Nothing is cute about it. It's more than just tackling climate change. It's about uniting young people. I just want to talk about a climate crisis again. Camera person here. We were sick and fed up with our leaders ignoring us just because we don't have a vote. We have to act now. It's procrastination to like save the world, do you feel? Can we pull it off like the adults do? You know, I can't just pass. I need to do really well. And I'm asking a bunch of high school students to try and offer you solutions when we got homework to do. Never read the Facebook comments. I feel like they only want it to be student-led in name. I have to toss up between school or strike. I don't want to skip out on my sack and get a zero for that. I'm so excited for this day. So we have about 10 minutes before this officially starts. This is what democracy looks like. All right, so, uh, Rob. Thank you so much for jumping on board uh, for this climactic episode at such short notice. Um, we are on the morning of Monday, the 16th of March, and I understand this is quite a special day for you because uh, was it just this morning or last night that something you've been working on for over a year has gone live? Yeah, it was yesterday. So episode one dropped on YouTube for Youth on Strike and um, the first part of a three-part series. God, it's, it's fantastic. So the other two parts are coming out weekly from, from this point? No, we, th- we thought we would go um, all in the one week, um, especially okay. given, you know, we're with, especially with YouTube people, we want to be able to capture someone if they really enjoyed one episode that have that next episode available. So episode two is tomorrow, Tuesday, and then episode three is Thursday. So by the end of the week, all three episodes are out. Oh my goodness. Okay, so listeners to this are going to have me at a disadvantage because I've only seen the first episode, but uh, probably by the time this comes out, I'm aiming for probably tomorrow, Tuesday, or, or probably Wednesday at latest. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they will be, so I'm going to sound like an idiot. But luckily, uh, a lot of these people, um, a lot of the, the, start of the stars of this show who did the vlogging, the organizers of School Strike for Climate. A lot of them uh, have been previous guests on Climactic, and I've uh, some of them I've gotten to know fairly well, and I'm, I'm really privileged, actually, to, to to call them friends. But also, like, it's weird as somebody who's going to turn 30 here in a few weeks. Uh, they're really kind of role models and people I, I look up to in a lot of ways. Um, so maybe get started here with this, this amazing project. Um, how did it sort of come about in the broad strokes? I know it's a big story, but when did it get started? Well, I was, I was actually researching a project um, which had some similar themes, but it was actually about uh, youth inequality um, in a generational kind of scale, um, looking at the, the inequalities between different generations. And so, um, which obviously led me on to climate change as being one of those big, big areas. And so I started, I actually reached out to a couple of journalists who had interviewed a few of the students who were part of the 2018 strike. And, um, and once I started talking to them and speaking to them and hearing about their plans for March 2019, um, I became really interested in, in knowing more and hearing more of their story. And it was around that time where there was a lot of talk in the media from commentators and leaders who really should know better mm-hmm. uh, talking around these young people being, you know, whatever the wording was, but things like no hopers or learning to line up for the doll and all those silly things. And I remember hearing that and thinking, this just could not be further from the truth. You know, I was speaking to young people who were really intelligent, articulate, emotionally mature, and could really, um, you know, map out why they were feeling this way and then 
back themselves up with evidence and reasoned argument. And mm-hmm. it was just not something we weren't actually seeing in the media or from, from leadership. And so, um, you know, I, just, I started speaking to them and starting to learn their stories. And I've worked on a series previously with the ABC that used the blogging style and that kind of technique. And mm-hmm. one of the, the important things about the youth strike was that um, we were elevating young people's voices and making sure that they were at the center. And so I wanted to take that that approach into how we tell this story and how we how we produce the series. And at that stage, I didn't really know what it was going to be. It was a passion project. I was looking at doing a, a short film. I wasn't sure if any of this would actually work. And mm-hmm. so I started working with, a, you know, about a dozen students all around Australia, helping them to tell their story, giving them advice, guiding them on what to vlog and how to vlog then collecting the footage over many months and just sitting there crossing my fingers that we would have something that could make some kind of coherent story. So how did it feel then after that first strike attracted the amount of media attention and just sort of popular awareness, sort of breakthrough it, it had? Did you feel pretty uh, excited and sort of vindicated straight away by the, the reaction after that first day? I think so, yeah. And I think what was also still coming out of it was that there was a lot of media written by adults. And around that time, there was a study done into um, whenever they were speaking about issues that affected young people, how many young voices were actually part of the debate. And it was something like under 3% in the media. Mm-hmm. And some, I can't you know, don't quote me on that, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But I remember hearing that going, that's just crazy. So it really did back up thoughts around giving young people the tools to tell the story and making sure that their voices were center in this. So you got to these people quite early on in the piece. So so they started vlogging uh, at least a month before the um, the March strike of 2019. How was it sort of reaching out to them and, and how big a task was that convincing them to, you know, on top of organizing a massive strike and life and school to uh, sort of record their thoughts? That was, I think, the most challenging part of the production part of the project was that they were all really busy and many of them were in year 12 and many of them were key organizers or had a lot to do with organizing their local strike. And so they were really, really busy. And, you know, it was a really fine line of how much we could ask them to film. And, you know, something that I'd learned from other, other, you know, productions and documentaries with young people is you really kind of got to allow them to take the lead on how much they want to say and how much they want to do. And so, you know, if, there, if I was getting footage and it wasn't exactly what I thought it should be or what I wanted it to be, it was about letting go of my expectations and what I thought and working with what they were actually able to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we had quite a, a difference in schedule between all of the students when, when they were delivering footage. Some were delivering it every single day via a Google Drive that I'd set up. And so I could see exactly what they were filming and I could give feedback. There were several others I didn't actually get the footage back you know, for a month after the strike. So I had no idea whether they had recorded their story or whatever they had recorded. I was on a roller coaster of stress and nervousness mm. and happiness through all these different moments where I was getting this footage coming through. And as I was watching it, some days were like, this is amazing. Some days were, I don't know if I can tell a story. So it was really, <laughs> really up and down until I got everything. The production story is, is something we could spend at least an hour on solely, it just by could, itself. Yeah. Um, at the end of that journey, when you kind of were starting to to shape up uh, a, a piece of media, 
what was it like sort of uh, deciding on how it was going to be presented, what what the final product was essentially going to be? And was it a matter of kind of just looking around at potential partners, having lots of conversations and seeing what was possible? Or did you kind of have a, a vision in mind as you started to get maybe sort of halfway through that production process? Yeah, it started to make a bit, a bit of sense to me as I was looking through the footage and I actually didn't want to say anything to anyone. And I kept saying to the, to the students, this is just an experiment to see what mm. we can get. And so it wasn't until I'd really collected all the footage and I put together kind of what I called, you know, the best grabs from across the series to look at doing a pitch trailer. Mm-hmm. It was only until that moment I realized, okay, there's an actual story here because it's one point to have lots of voices and opinions and things, but we really wanted to tell a narrative story. And we, mm-hmm. that meant that we had to go on a journey with a beginning and a middle and an end. And each of these, you know, characters in the in the story had to have their own point, you know, why were they there and what was at stake for them? And, you know, they had to mean something. So, you know, there was a lot of consideration gone into you know, making sure that that, you know, became you know, this became a story rather than a collection of just video blogs or a, a montage mm-hmm. of sequences. So once we kind of worked that out, I, d- I went to Screen Australia and applied for a production grant, and luckily, uh, and we were lucky enough to get it. And then it was, but that wasn't the full amount. And so I kind of started looking around for a partner. And thing that I really want the series to reach a wide audience to be available and accessible for anyone, um, and also to really appeal to young people. We kind of wanted to focus on trying to find an online partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that lots there's been lots of really successful environmental documentaries previously, and there's some amazing work out there. But we also do know that the cinema audience is a lot older, and um, to what we were seeing in the in the youth strikes, and so we wanted to try to reach that that audience and go with them. So, luckily enough, we. We partnered with Junkie and they were, this was, I think would be their first external commission. So they were really excited and it was something that mm. they really wanted to, to look at and do as well, being that they had covered the youth strikes, you know, really, really well. Um, and so once they signed up, we were, we were going then and we could start post-production straight away. That's fantastic. And, and it, from just watching the first episode this morning, it seems incredibly kind of, there's a lot of work that goes into making it seem as light touch and sort of unedited as it seems. It it seems just to flow. And other than a few kind of title cards or bits where you've got sort of just a little bit of text to to tell the development of the story or show the passage of time, the only thing that's on the screen is the students themselves talking into their phones, telling the story themselves. So that's probably really deceptive in how much actual work went in, isn't it? Incredibly deceptive. And (laughs) I'm glad you feel that way, though, because that means we did the job well. Is yes. that, you know, it, it comes across well, but we, when I first sat down with uh, Laura Worth, who is the editor, we spent just, we spent three weeks just throwing story cards around. We turned my back room at my house into, mm-hmm. we covered the entire wall here with about <laughs> 40 story cards just stuck on the wall. It's going, how do we tell this? Cause there's so much footage. And so, you know, we really just kind of picked and choosed, chose the, the best kind of, um, video blogs that told particular stories and we had to lose a lot of really great material because you don't want it to become too cutty because as soon Mm -hmm. as you're cutting from five or six blogs in a sequence rather than just two or three, it it loses that feeling of you're sitting with that character and that feeling of this is a video blog. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really wanted to kind of make sure that we we kept it in the style and the, of what you would usually see in a video blog on say YouTube. 
I'm fascinated, and I did just enough you know, film studies in uni to be dangerous. Um, yeah. So I could talk your ear off about that. But I'm really especially interested by beyond the media aspect is the, the climate media. And yeah. I'm kind of curious as being the first you know, external commission by Junkie, do you see the funding opportunities and also the distribution? Where does more content like this, where does it come from and how does it get out there? Do you kind of see this project as kind of maybe a bit of a, a trailblazer for more content specifically about the climate movement in Australia? coming along behind it i hope so i mean when when the strikes were being organized i was told by one of the students that there was 15 documentaries being made at the time about the strikes um Hmm. which i thought was both awesome and and also quite scary you know this was kind of the only one that was saying here you you students you film and we'll put it together we'll help you tell your story yeah more collaborative but i think um i think you know, and this is just a trend in the last 10 years anyway, with all, all organizations and brands and movements is the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, out of the, out of the strike, we saw lots and lots and lots of videos and they had great footage and music and graphics. And these are all really important videos and messages, but they really do only appeal to the converted crowd already. And so when you go into storytelling, we're, we're trying to do something. We're trying to tell a story that reaches a wide audience and brings people along the journey and then hopefully by creating these these characters and showing the vulnerability of young people and and taking them on this journey that they will relate to them and by the end they're they're supporting them and and barracking for them Um, yeah so i think that's the power of storytelling you know compared to kind of just your normal kind of promo video absolutely i think yeah i agree completely that was really well said and and i was going to ask like do you see like a group like the Climate Council or ACF, AYCC, all the kind of climate organizations? Did you did you think about approaching them or did you have conversations with them? And how do you kind of view instead of having a group like that behind this production that you do have junkie and more? Yeah, as you say, mainstream, cross-sectional, definitely skewing younger demographically, but um, a, a kind of mainstream publication. Was there a decision you had to make there around um, who you're going to partner with? Yeah, there was. Our original plan was to approach a large range of environmental groups and release it ourselves. But releasing anything on the internet is a lot harder than I think people realize mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you've got to battle through the one million cat videos that are out there. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to build that crowd and build that audience and build the interest as well as, I think finding someone who already has an audience, it's really hard to build your own audience from the, from the ground up, but going to junkie, they already have that audience. Their, their skill set is reaching people um, and reaching their audience with this kind of content. So that just made sense to go to them. And being that it's on YouTube, all those, all those groups like the ACF and AYCC can hopefully then access that, that episode and that story and the whole series and share it and, and use it wherever they feel like they can. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, really. Yeah, it is. And and not to maybe put it transactionally, but I'm kind of curious what you think Junkie gets out of that in return. Like why, by this being their first external commission, do they do they leave themselves open for kind of criticism from a you know, tra- traditional industries, uh, you know, federal government, like, a, like an anti-climate uh, messaging attack on Junkie for uh, showing this kind of content? Potentially. I mean... It's, I mean, the internet is filled with trolls anyway. So anytime you, mm-hmm. you put anything out there, you're always opening yourself up. 
But I think Junkie is very progressive anyway. It does appeal to an a progressive audience. And they had already covered um, and done a lot of work on the climate change space anyway. So I felt quite comfortable that they were the right people to, to take this through and that they would handle it in the right way as well. That's great. I know it's early days. It's only been out for a few hours so far. <laughs> but um, how, how does it feel to have it out? And then what have the early responses been? I know you've had a couple screening events. I, I know you unfortunately had to, to cancel the one in Melbourne, uh, which I, I understand is painful, but it's the right decision to make, I'm, I know. Um, but what's it been like, kind of the roller coaster ride over the last few days? Well, unexpect the the world has changed quite unexpectedly, you know, since we first decided to launch it on the March fifteenth. That with the coronavirus um, heading out there, it has radically changed the landscape. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we'd always planned to release it on March fifteenth to kind of celebrate a one year on from the story that we we're telling. We just thought there was some nice synergy with that. So. You know, I think it's. I think the take up of it is going to be a little slower than what we originally expected, and we've kind of shifted our expectations from short term to more long term approach to it. Just because I think, um, you know, rightly so, there's a lot of focus on on virus and the virus preparation, what's happening in the world right now, and um, but you know, that that will eventually calm down, and people will need positive stories, and I think. You know, an energetic, positive story told by young people about the future that has a whole lot of hope in it is probably something that people really need at the moment. So hopefully, it's, it's the antidote you know, people need. Yeah, exactly. And so hopefully, they'll they'll find it on YouTube. You know, when they're in, you know, when they're having to work from home. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going into a phase of uh, of everyone's going to be a bit content starved. Uh, they won't have the commute time as much, but they will have the hey, I can have something on in the background while I do my work. <laughs> That's yeah, nice. exactly. And it's, you know, the thing that we really wanted to do with the series was not to make anything that was too doom and gloomy, mm -hmm. to make sure that it had a real positive message and an energy to it that by the end you felt hopeful. And so I yeah. hope that by the end of the series, that really kind of carries through and, you know, and, and it inspires other people to kind of have that same hope, but also to, to take action as well and demand action. So any more projects in the works at this point, Rob? Have you got, you know, uh, teams of young people out in other parts of the country or other parts of the world recording themselves at the moment? I wish. We had we had discussed that. I think there was a little bit of wait and see to see how the, the series series got out and how it, um, how it was received before we made any decisions. You know, we, we made this entire production, you know, with very, very little money. So we had very, we had basically nothing left when we got to the end of making it. So then trying to market it was just a whole different thing. We're looking at other options and we're hoping that we can do something you know, further in the future. Oh, that's exciting. So so watch this space for more. And, uh, and if, you, if you watch it and you like it, well, it's kind of up to all of us to uh, make it a success. Well, Rob, so sort of say a self-serving question here a little bit. Climactic, this podcast is coming up on being two years old uh, next month in April. And uh, it's been a very fun and interesting and sometimes really like it feels very toiling road of trying to, to tell stories about the climate crisis. I'm curious if you've got just a, a couple things here quickly, like main things you learned about not only, you know, the, the art of making film and making short film and then getting it produced and funding and all that, but but about how you're personally relating to the, the climate crisis. Because to call back to the very start, I've been personally really inspired and yeah, filled with hope by meeting some of the young people that, that are in this project I'm curious how you kind of felt as well, getting to watch hours of footage from them, kind of speaking from their hearts. 
I think I felt the same way as you. You know, there was there was a point in time, um, and I think I think many people had said this in the media. There was a point in time, kind of in 2018, where you know there was a lot of I think depression and anxiety around climate change, and it was you know it just kept butting heads against anyone who was trying to take action, and it just felt like we we're getting nowhere, and it was just you know this constant um, doom you know on the horizon, and then. You know, it just, it just didn't feel like we could do anything. And then, you know, school students basically showed us the way. And I think that was that was a kind of a turning point. And all of a sudden, you know, and I know many of them don't want to, you know, don't want us to be talking about them as just, you know, we're in, well, you know, they give us hope or whatever, but they, yeah. they really do give us hope and they really do inspire us. And that was part of the, you know, what, what kind of, you know, inspired this project was, okay, I'm not a young, I'm not a young person anymore. So how can I best support them? Um, you know, and it's, this was kind of my, hopefully my way of being able to support that movement and support what they're doing. It's a wonderful answer. And I'm sure they appreciate as well that you tried to make something about this, but you weren't grabbing the mic. You were, you were giving it to them and you're giving them a platform. Um, have you heard very much back from the, the students, from the young people, from the stars of the show? about what it feels like for them being in this project. Yeah, so before it was released, we um, we all met up together uh, in two different groups because, you know, we really took um, duty of care quite seriously with them. So we showed mm -hmm. them the, uh, the the cuts before they went, before they're released so that they were across everything and gave them the chance to ask questions and talk about it and, you know, go through a little bit of what to expect when it comes out, didn't quite cover the virus, <laughs> I didn't quite know about that, but, you know, what to expect when it comes out, how to handle different things and just kind of talking about what it means to be in a documentary. Because a lot of times I think um, when people are filmed and watch themselves later on, they say, oh, that's not, that's not me. That's, that's not mm -hmm. who I am. It's like, well, it isn't anymore, but documentaries are a snapshot in time. So this was, you know, what you were at this point in your lives. And when you're at that age, you change dramatically within a couple of months. Yeah. And so I think that's what a lot of the feedback has been from the students who are in it who have said, they've gone, I, I can't believe how much I've grown or developed since then. And this mm -hmm. and organizing and being part of the strikes was a big part of their development. And, you know, when we did the, the talk at, with Junkie in Sydney and we had a couple of them speak, they spoke a lot about how the climate strikes really helped them develop a whole range of skills and confidence they just wouldn't have never got anywhere else. And so on a kind of a final note from them, there was, a, there was a couple of them that kind of said, you know, we felt like the movement and young people in the movement had got a little bit um, pessimistic after the election and after things had happened. But it was really nice to kind of watch back and see how positive and the energy we had at that time. And you know, hopefully that will kind of help re-energize a lot of them as well. Mm. Oh, they're they're wise beyond their years. They are. It's, it's yeah. so great to get to spend time with them. Um, oh, Rob, it's been great to to get to meet you and jump on this call with you. You know, just from from last week, from getting an invite from you to the Melbourne premiere, to then the the roller coaster of of that unfortunately having to be cancelled, to you agreeing today after I saw the first episode to quickly jump on and do this. Uh, you've been a trooper, and um, I'm really excited to meet some more people in this this space making media really, really good media that, that brings people in, that's an on-ramp, that isn't just preaching to the choir. Thank you very much for that, Rob. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Anytime. 
to all other Aboriginal people who are gathered here today, their ancestors and their elders. When I was a kid, there wasn't the movement to like get behind stuff like this. And we just like to acknowledge how massive this crowd is, everyone. Hi, uh, we're Callum, Malou and Harriet, and we're from Castlemaine. <laughs> we cannot let fear stop us from action as it has stopped our leaders. We will fight this climate emergency and we will win, but only if we fight it together. We are not drowning! This is our future we're fighting for. Political leaders, we're calling you out. Our young people are here to tell you that our people who keep fighting for our right to stay alive, to influence your decisions on what that's going to do to the Pacific and what it's already doing. So it's time for the politicians and adults to stop relying on our generation to fix our planet. Give us air we can breathe and a future on our planet. You need to pick a side. And an event like this gives people an enormous amount of power to feel that they're not strange, that they should be concerned and that others share that concern. No, 50,000, five zero, yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. It brings you out of that sort of isolated state and you get to like share it with other people. I know that most politicians don't want to talk to us. Good, we don't want to talk to them either. I go and speak to a lot of young people, young people get it. When the world is in critical drought, we will not be able to eat money. When our waters are contaminated with plastic and are completely polluted, we will not be able to drink oil. Big round of applause for AYCC, which is the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. For SEED, which is the Indigenous Youth Climate Network. 200,000 people attended the strike today, which is absolutely amazing. As we're seeing, these kids are so articulate and passionate about this subject. Real magic going on right around the world. We're just not hearing enough We were planning for 50,000. Whoa. And we got 200,000. And it's... <laughs> I choose something bigger than me. And if one person is affected by this, then we're doing the work. Because sometimes the work is just one person at a time. But that's what it takes. How dare you, Scott Morrison, tell us the people who have survived bushfires that it's not time to talk about climate change. We have so many incredible people that are doing amazing things and creating amazing products and amazing ways to be able to make Earth a safer, happier place. You're listening to Climactic, Climactic, the voice voice of of the climate climate community. community. The Climactic Collective.